Hello, and you're very welcome to Mind You, where I dive into how different people use different ways to self-care. I'm Brian Barnes from Brian Barnes Wellbeing, where I partner with people to create unique wellbeing solutions. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Brad Shore. Brad has a huge passion for serving and minding others through his work as a family and marriage therapist and through his work focused on childhood trauma and toxic relationships. So Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome, and I so appreciate you contacting me, and uh, we can have a nice little conversation here about uh, (laughs) childhood trauma, and yes, I do focus on that in my private practice um, here in Long Beach, California, and um, um, it's it's, uh, near and dear to my heart because of the fact that uh, I also had to endure that growing up, and so now it's a, a pleasure in a way, ironically, it's a pleasure to work with uh, clients of mine who are struggling with this at now in their adult life. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to talking to you, Brad. And can you start off by telling me a bit about yourself and how you got to here? Yes, I grew up in Ohio and I received my bachelor's of education back in Ohio. And then I um, moved out west to California where I'm at now. And um, I was working for the airlines. I was a flight attendant for many, many years. And, um, uh, and I enjoyed that. Uh, but there was just something missing. And I wasn't usually us- actually using my bachelor's degree. <laughs> I started working for the airlines where you didn't need a degree. Uh, but it was great to travel. And, um, and I love the airline benefits. However, um, I knew at some point... Um, probably after 10 years with the airlines or so that I just needed to go back to school. I wanted to go back to school. And this time, instead of focusing on education and perhaps being a a school teacher, I knew in my heart that I wanted to study psychology. So at that point, um, I enrolled in a master's of psychology program and um, uh, got my degree while I was still flying. So pretty much, uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, I would do my classes, and then I would usually fly like three-day trips, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, or something like that, and, uh, and got my degree. And then um, I graduated in, oh boy, it was uh, December, I believe, of 1997. So I've actually had my master's since 1997. And then since then, um, I kept flying, but I was using my degree part-time in terms of For example, I worked at St. Mary's Hospital here in Long Beach for several years uh, with the senior geriatric population. They had a wonderful program there called Passages, and I was doing a lot of group counseling with them. And then in addition to that, I um, uh, was doing my internship where, at least here in the States, you have to accumulate uh, 3,000 hours, actual uh, face-to-face hours with clients uh, before you can Uh, sit and take the exam to actually get your license. So I was kind of doing my internships, working at St. Mary's. I was still flying with American Airlines. And then then eventually I uh, did get licensed and then um, been working in private practice now for quite a few years. And uh, what's helped me a lot in the private practice is I started making some mental health YouTube videos probably about um, 
Oh, I don't know. It's been about two and a half years or so, I think. And um, I have a small YouTube channel, but I get a lot of interest in terms of people find me that are interested in looking at childhood trauma. And then I'll get business from that in terms of they will seek me out or Google me or however they look me up and then contact me. And um, so I've uh, ironically, I wasn't planning on necessarily getting any business through making the YouTube videos, but uh, it's actually helped me in terms of my private practice. So, so um, yeah, so I have a nice balance in terms of uh, um, with the videos, I get to talk about whatever the heck I want to talk about. I make them myself and I can say whatever I want. And that's kind of nice. <laughs> and then um, in private practice, of course, the focus is on the client. I stay with where they're at and uh, it's less about me and the focus is on them. And um, because most of them have been victims of childhood trauma, they need to have the focus on them. They need to have uh, a lot of space created for them because they were denied quite typically quote unquote space growing up. You know, it was all about the parents or the chaos in the home or uh, some sort of dysfunction. So they weren't allowed their proper healthy identity development. And so part of the reason they come into therapy is to create an environment, a safe environment, where finally, for the first time in their life, they can explore themselves. The parents didn't provide that, which is really sad. And so um, they were having a lot of courage because a lot of people try to avoid going into therapy because you have to look at the very things you don't want to examine. The whole reason we run from feelings is because um, they can feel overwhelming at the time. And so in therapy, you're sort of confronting that. So I have a lot of admiration for people who are willing to come in and um, look at their lives uh, on different levels. And um, so that um, is, is where I'm at now currently in my life. Okay, wow. What a journey, Brad. And again, I've, I told you earlier on, I've watched your videos and they're amazing and really good content. I'd recommend anyone to kind of have a look at Brad's videos on YouTube. And um, again, thank you for sharing that, that journey with me, Brad. Mm -hmm. And digging, diving a bit deeper into how you mind others, kind of day to day, Brad, like, again, you work with people, you know, childhood trauma, toxic relationships, I suppose, trying to help people walk steady on unsteady ground. Like when, when someone comes to you um, looking for, you know, your, your support and your objectivity, where do you start off with? Well, that's a good question because for anybody who's been a victim of childhood trauma, um, it's hard to seek help because you're not supposed to, you know, your needs were secondary. You're not supposed to focus on yourself. Really. Those are the messages you got as a child. So when perhaps you do find a therapist or a counselor, somebody to work with, um, you may go in and want it to be perhaps more of an exchange with the therapist, um, perhaps even hear about the therapist's life, because uh, quite often clients don't want the focus to be on them because they had to be the wallflower, the people pleaser, the one who kind of blends into the woodwork because that's the training from the parents. So you need a skilled therapist to some degree that... Uh, will help a client feel safe and um, uh, protected in their weekly sessions, let's say. But you have to let them find their own words, which means you're not going to jump in and try to problem solve for them uh, or guide them too much. Uh, because the whole point is that they were overwhelmed as a kid and had to 
sort of do what others wanted them to do. So now they may bring that into the therapy and want the therapist to do that for them. That would be a natural fit. And they are even hoping for it because on some level, um, it'll alleviate maybe some of the anxiety or the deep, deeper feelings that will be coming up. So you need a therapist to just allow that and not jump in too much and let them lead. And then in, and they may battle that internally um, and they're probably will... Uh, you know, question themselves and even have guilt and conflict about um, sharing their authentic self. They're not used to that. So, um, so a therapist who provides uh, a real cozy, safe place to hide, let's say, where their therapist is also doing a lot of talking, um, is not going to be helpful. So it's it's a real fine line, at least in my opinion. And I learned that the hard way, so to speak, because. Um, I started with, but a hard way in terms of it really helped me is um, uh, when I started therapy, oh my goodness, over 25 years ago, I um, had, I started with a therapist um, who was more warm and fuzzy, so to speak. And it was okay. It was helpful. But then I moved and in the new city I was in, I had to find a new therapist and this therapist um, who I turned out to love and was an excellent therapist was, you know, it was kind of like working on some level to some degree with, uh, uh, I had a little feeling of like a German Gestapo kind of feeling. <laughs> it's like it was, it wasn't warm and cozy. But later in working with her, and I brought that up in my therapy, I expressed how I felt in meeting her and how I felt in the sessions. She helped me understand that, um, that's not her role. Her role is not to um, sort of make me feel safe and, and content in the sessions. I have to do that for myself, which means that um, I'm now confronting on some level um, how, I how I hid from things over much of my life. So because I was emotionally smothered, I became really good at dodging feelings, minimizing feelings, denying feelings, dissociating. Dissociation's a big one. And yeah. so... In therapy, you want to confront the dissociation. And so um, with this particular therapist who I'm mentioning, she was a good match for me. She was a good fit. And uh, I began to see how she was working with me. And I think I rebelled a little bit because I didn't want to go down that path. I wanted it to be easier. But when we're working with childhood trauma, we have to be willing to confront uncomfortable feelings. And then we learn that those feelings are not going to kill us at all. Uh, we think that they may because we've never perhaps worked with feelings in our life, but that's part of the therapeutic growth is we begin to see, oh, I can have intense feelings. Let's call it, let's say it's rage, but it could be any feeling. Um, and it's not going to, I'm not gonna be suffocated by it. It's not going to take me over. I'm going to integrate it into my life and I'm allowed to have feelings and I can, work with these feelings and the feelings aren't going to kill me. Then all that was denied the child with the lack of proper parenting growing up. And now the child, uh, the adult child is now recreating that in the therapy. So kind of a long winded answer, answer and it's kind of complicated, but, um, uh, but that's kind of a brief nutshell about uh, what working with childhood trauma involves in a therapeutic setting. That's great, Brad. And thank you for, sharing that with me and brad 
I'd love to get your definition of childhood trauma because, again, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, like they had kind of, you know, an okay childhood and it was, you know, there was no kind of alcoholism and there was no physical abuse and they had a bed and a roof over their heads. Now, again, we know childhood trauma is a, a lot more than that. So what's your definition of childhood trauma? Yeah, basically childhood trauma is... Um, it ranges uh, on the bell curve of it all. It includes so much. So meaning it's obviously any form of abuse, physical, emotional, mental, sexual. So all the abuses for sure. Uh, and that's what people focus on more because those are more readily, uh, you know, they're easier to see. Uh, but uh, it can be uh, anything. Uh, uh, often it's very covert and nobody else perhaps knows. Um, but uh, if a parent, let's say, is jealous of a particular child, um, uh, let's say it's the mother, she may hold off on letting anybody else see that, but when she's with the child alone, she makes it clear to this particular child who probably reminds her of her on some level growing up that um, she's going to make this uh, life difficult for the child. And so, so how would anybody know that? Would anybody really see that? Well, not really. And if the child doesn't talk about it or bring it up, um, nobody would know. And even if the child does bring it up, nobody may believe the child. So it can, it's very insidious. It ranges across so many things. Um, it, and it could be a one-time incident even. I remember years ago, I was working with a client and her trauma began, began um, when she was probably about age 10 and it lasted all of about 10 seconds. And without going into too much detail, I'll just say that... Um, she was brought to a movie theater uh, with her family and um, everybody got up to go get popcorn. And there she was sitting in her seat alone in the movie theater. And um, a gentleman who was seated next to her with his family um, took just a minute or so to uh, abuse her in a way with his hand that um, impacted her her whole life. So meaning, so the point of this particular story is it doesn't have to be ongoing over years. Many times it is. It doesn't have to have a frequency to it. Many times it does. It can range from that all the way to a little five second incident. And then the child is impacted. That's trauma. Trauma is when it affects um, our healthy identity development. Uh, we begin to uh, stuff feelings away because they're a little too overwhelming to work through at the time. Once feelings are trapped away, all sorts of other symptoms can begin. Uh, uh, a cement ball of depression, for example, that's really just trapped feelings. Um, or the feelings maybe are there, they're aware of them, they're trying to minimize them, but they can't quite keep up. So when uh, they're a teenager, they decide to start drinking or using drugs because then they feel numbed out. So, okay, so now we've crossed over now into a possible addiction. Now they're learning that I don't really have to work with my authentic feelings. There's ways to numb them. Well, that's a whole other path now. So that all has to be worked on in the therapy because now you're moving into other layers that have to be sort of unthreaded to get down to the actual trauma. So it's complicated on that level. Um, can people do the work? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Oh, heck yeah. It's very life-changing and life-saving, but um, it's, um, 
uh, I think I'm specifically sort of pointing out the complicated levels of it because it needs to be talked about on this level. I think people want it to be more black and white or they want it to sugarcoat it even a little bit. And it's not, it's tricky work and uh, it involves uh, feelings that go way back to um, you know our childhood and uh, we have to be willing to unthread them. And then, whoa, once we do, it can be life-changing. And uh, of course, we begin to heal at that point. Absolutely. And again, as you said there, Brad, about childhood trauma, it's it's so insidious and it, it can, it's so covert that obviously you know, a child isn't aware of what's going on because they're so trusting and there's nothing else to compare it to. Like I, I used that analogy earlier on about it's like asking a fish, you know, how's the water? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know I mean? Like, because it's, it's just... You know, it's just kind of normalized in a child's mind, which, you know, kind of, again, like that covert side of it. Um, and then really, it's only when you get into teenage years and into kind of coming into adulthood that like I liken it about, with, about childhood trauma, about having a stone in your shoe that you get mm. stoned in your shoe in childhood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and again, I, I, you know, I've spoken about my own experience with it. And it's almost like, you know, like you, you come to, into early adulthood and, okay, you've got a sore foot and you're kind of limping a bit, um, but you don't know why, you know? It's like, so again, it's kind of, you know, it, it's almost being an archaeologist and kind of, you know, digging deeper. And it's, it's hard work. And as you said, they're like, you know, providing a safe space for people to, to do that work and to uncover really old um, emotions, you know, that have been kind of frozen since childhood, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, and some, when you mentioned the word covert, the covert abuses uh, uh, are even uh, can be a little more difficult to work with because there's nothing really to point to per se, you know, versus a child who's been obviously physically abused, they can point to the black and blue marks uh, on the arm or something. So with covert abuses, they're, they're hidden and uh, people may not believe the child. And with emotional incest in particular, which is the emotional smothering of a child, has nothing to do with physical sex or anything. Uh, but with emotional smothering, emotional incest specifically, uh, the child is put on a pedestal, let's say, or somehow honored by a particular parent in a way that they become the mini wife or mini husband, and that is not healthy. Uh, it's not the role of a child to be a mini anything. They, they just need to be a child growing up and finding their way in life and not turned into uh, perhaps a little mini therapist for the, the parent or anything along that line, or just the, the weekend date. Uh, the uh, parent is sort of relying on a child because perhaps they're in a bad marriage or something. So any and all of that is very covert because on the outside, it may look like, oh, what a great parent. Look at how they're tending to their daughter. Look at all the time they're focusing on with their son. It looks um, so lovely, perhaps on the outside, not understanding that um, it's doing serious emotional harm to the child. Absolutely. And Brad, the research is telling us that, like I work in mental health, in acute mental health, and um, I've worked in mental health for, 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 for many years and addiction. I've worked in addiction therapy, addiction treatment. Mm. And the research tells us that for mental health illness, at least 90% of mental health illness is caused by childhood trauma. And it's a similar figure for addiction. So this is, you know, that stone in, in one shoe mm-hmm. is 
creating a very sore foot mm-hmm. in later <laughs> life. And again, it's but it's 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 so kind of nuanced that like if you if you you know if if you're not able to accept and acknowledge that there is a stone in your shoe that there is something that might have you know kind of you know, happened in childhood uh you know like you're not going to get to the bottom of it like so like again that's where you help people to walk steady on unsteady ground and like again you know like what like when you when you're working with someone what are some of the you know the goals or the or some of the objectives let's say to you know like to kind of reach Yes. Um, how I work, uh, all therapists are a little bit different with that. And um, I work very psychodynamically. So f- meaning for me, um, the underlying feelings are really of priority for me to, to work with the client on those because you're getting to the foundation. Um, other therapeutic approaches can be valuable in their own ways, of course, but uh, some, um, and depending on how much money somebody has maybe to spend on therapy or time and all that, they may want more of a Band-Aid approach, perhaps, um, which can be helpful and helps us in our everyday life. I personally tend to work with uh, more long-term, and I want to get more to the underlying reasons because that's the foundation. And so um, so I work with my clients on uh, some often can't name feelings. They don't know feelings. Um, yeah. Um, there's because just, they're, they're so frozen, because they've been mm-hmm. so frozen, because mm-hmm. those feelings have been so frozen and numbed through, as we said, dissociation and, you know, uh, again, kind of burying those feelings. They're just they're just buried so deep, aren't they? Absolutely. And then what happens sometimes is you can have an adult come in for therapy, let's say age 40, and they're wanting to understand why they've always had panic attacks or they can't maintain a healthy relationship or they're getting fired from jobs all the time. So they come in with the symptom, which is great. And they're showing a lot of courage in coming in and wanting to understand why this is happening in their life. Um, Usually uh, it's going to relate to something that began in childhood. And sometimes you can have resistance with that with the client because they're wanting it to be something more current in their life. If they just do this, it'll go away. If they just stop doing this a habit they began let's say two years ago everything would get better and not to say that changing some current things won't be helpful but quite typically depending on the symptom for the client that's coming in um, it's much more related to uh, uh, something that began in childhood and uh, and something not good so something that was not pleasurable and then you have to work with them on understanding the value of going back uh, because a therapist, uh, many work the way I do, that may start uh, wanting to ask them about, well, tell me, uh, you know, when um, you saw your mom getting hit by your father that you mentioned when you were eight years old, uh, what was that like for you? You know, and uh, because they mentioned perhaps they were hiding behind a couch and saw their mother's bloody face. Well, you're wanting to perhaps probe into that. And the client may direct you and say, oh, no, 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 that happened 30 years ago. There's really no point in going there. I want to stay with why today, this current year, I lost my job or I broke up. And so you have to work with the resistance to that this all began, perhaps in this instance, but there could be, of course, many, many more, where the child was so traumatized by seeing their parents physically fight on an ongoing level, let's say over many years, 
that of course relationships are not going to feel safe at all of course not why how are you going to witness that when you're seven eight nine years old and then all of a sudden grow up grow up without having done any therapeutic work and then just thinking you can go out and find somebody fight, fall deeply in love and have this wonderful life together um it's unlikely that that's going to happen because the memories the feelings the trauma related to seeing your mother perhaps being beaten to a pulp um, on an ongoing basis is is overwhelming. But see, a lot of people don't want to view it that way. They want to minimize it and see that's going to keep them trapped. So part of the work is you have to help them break through their denial about what happened in childhood. And you know what? If a client is willing and ready to do this kind of work, and, and many are, um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic for the therapist. Uh, and uh, fantastic for them as well, because they'll begin, they're on their healing journey. And from the, from the therapist's point of view, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're on this journey of recovery and healing and they're not getting defensive, let's say, uh, fighting the therapist, you know, no, I don't want to go back there. No. Why do you know why these feelings are not important? <laughs> you know, they're just sort of going along with it and sort of following your lead, following the therapist's lead. And then great things can happen when that is all sort of uh, put together and the client feels safe and they trust their therapist, hopefully, then really wondrous things can happen. Absolutely. And even Brad, I was thinking there, as you were talking, like, you know, I have, um, I've met counselors and therapists who, you know, like, were very kind of unversed in childhood trauma and um, narcissistic personality disorder. And, you know, both can be very interlinked. So, you know, like a lot, a lot, there, there is a lot of therapists that don't have the, you know, the, um, the training or the, the, the ability to kind of deal with people with childhood trauma and, you know, coming from toxic relationships and toxic families. But also, I suppose, if, if you have someone going to a very well-versed therapist on well-versed on childhood trauma and toxic relationships, if that client isn't ready, they're not going to get involved. They're not going to kind of, you know, open up and kind of start a journey. So I suppose everyone's, you know, at a different point in their journey, aren't they? Very, very true. And that's why I think um, this field, psychology in general, is so fascinating. It's so interesting because, uh, there's so many different facets and everybody's different and we all have different histories, of course. And then to the point that you were just making right there, somebody may get something intellectually or cognitively and they can name everything, why they're going through it. They may even give the, the therapist a detailed history. Yes. And then, you know, I was expelled from school when I was 11 and then my dad divorced my mom when I was 12. So they're aware of that part, but being willing to, do the feeling work where we're connecting the mind to the heart that's a whole different ball game so so you have people to the point you were making who maybe want to they really do uh and they get it intellectually but they're just not quite ready to work with perhaps um, some of the deeper feelings that come up um uh, that of course will surface by probing into their childhood. So, so right. You have to respect that. Um, any therapist, we just respect that they're not maybe quite ready yet. And, um, and who knows, they may stop therapy, but they may come back later in life. Um, uh, or they may hang in there and just trust the process and, and the therapist hopefully will guide them into, let's just, let's just, you know, kind of stay with this. And, uh, in the process, eventually have more of an opening to the feelings 
And then that, of course, is when the deeper work can begin. But but it's not a judgment or right or wrong, good or bad, anything like that. It's just we all have to come into a time and a space when we're ready. Um, I know for me, when I began therapy, I had it on my to-do list. I literally had a to-do list and uh, with probably 20 things on it. And <laughs> up at the top was find therapist. And I, that was on my list for probably a good year. Before, and I kept looking at it. You know, and finally, um, uh, after about a year, I did a little work. I got a business card and I contacted somebody. And thank goodness it was a good match and a good fit. But the point of this is that I had all that resistance. I knew I wanted to. I wasn't quite ready. I don't want to call yet. And then somehow after a year, I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready now. But everybody has to go through that in their own way. Um, and, uh, and some people never go through it in a lifetime. They may battle it their entire life. And, um, um, and that happens too. Absolutely. Well, like, I suppose I, I don't know the figures offhand, Brad, like, you know, like, you know yourself, m most people don't go to therapy or counseling. As I said, like, I, I've, like, I'm like you, I've been on a journey. I've been going to counseling for, you know, near, the last 16, 18 years and, you know, different counselors and different journeys with them. But the majority of people don't go to counseling and don't go to therapy. And so, you know, they're kind of, again, they continue walking with that stone in their shoe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Um, I kind of view it like it's it's amazing. And if somebody's open to having this conversation, let's say they're just talking informally about therapy, I'll say, well, um, and, and they're resistant. But, you know, I'll point out, um, you know, a lot of people are willing to go once a week and uh, pay to do yoga or to get their hair done or to get their nails done or to hire a personal trainer, or we can name a million more things. And they're willing to do that. And they yeah. do it. And they budget go for to, it. Go to the bar. Yeah. Go to the bars. Yeah. And tie one on. Yeah. It could be anything. Absolutely. Take their yeah. cooking classes. But, uh, but God forbid you go for one hour a week and simply examine your feelings, talk about your feelings, process your feelings. It's, People are sometimes terrified of that. So you kind of have to break through that in terms of um, the notion of what's that about that? You know, if you, if you can budget and put some money away for this, that or the other every week and you're excited, what do you think that um, what's the reluctance about perhaps to go in once a week and examine your feelings? So so again, that's that's up to that's a personal journey for anybody. They have to be willing to answer that honestly with inside of themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Brad, again, thank you so much for sharing that fascinating toolkit that you have and just the amazing way how you help people kind of again walk steady on unsteady ground. And again, like I, I'd advise your, your your YouTube videos to anyone that's, you know, like considering kind of you know going down this path looking at the stone in their shoe um so thank you so much for sharing that with me. And can you tell me now how you mind you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've gotten better at it the last, let's say, five years. <laughs> Part of the way I do it is I've always been in some sort of ongoing therapy. Um, so for 30 years, I have been in therapy and um, uh, I rarely miss a week. And it's not so much uh, after a while that somebody really, quote unquote, needs it or you're, you know, obviously can level off after um, after you've worked through, through some trauma, let's say the first, even in, you know, five, 10 years, you know, uh, but I continue going because it's a blessing. It's wondrous to go in once a week and simply have a safe space to talk about things maybe that 
especially in today's crazy world, things that upset you or irritations or um, could be absolutely anything. doesn't matter if they're small or large. In fact, by focusing sometimes on the small things, it's a way that they don't they probably won't get larger. So, so therapy to me is just a a wondrous thing in that sense. And um, I always go. And also I think for any um, therapist who's seeing clients, they really need to be and should be going to their weekly therapy because we need to process and talk about uh, times when we're triggered by our clients, which is called counter transference. And uh, because as a human being, of course, we're going to have clients that uh, we may not agree with decisions they're making, but it's their therapy, their life, they're making those decisions. So, so we have to then be aware of any feelings we have about them and process that in our own supervision um, in therapy, because if not, then we may somehow perhaps uh, sabotage the therapy of that client because we may be angry at them on some level. And so these dynamics are all important. And, uh, we have to keep up with it. So for minding me, uh, definitely the therapy is huge um, and I love it. In addition to that, I try to just do, for example, before our, before you and I started talking today, I went and did a half an hour uh, at Stairmaster, on the Stairmaster at LA Fitness here, here in Long Beach. Uh, so I think exercise uh, uh, for sure, uh, stretching, I do yoga. Uh, I think it's kind of a holistic approach. Um, I think everybody on some level should choose some things. Everybody, it can be different for any, but for everybody, but for, for me, it's usually the yoga and uh, some sort of aerobic exercise. I also just a few weeks ago, or actually, I guess over a month ago, I started uh, doing some uh, Reiki sessions, which is new to me. And I wasn't even sure exactly what it is, but I did some research and um, it's sort of an, um, uh, off hands healing with somebody who's trained in that. So, so you're not actually touched, but they hover their hands over you. And uh, it's very spiritual. Uh, it may be a little too new agey for some people. But uh, for me, I looked into it and uh, I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting because it works with chakras and it works with our energy centers. And it's about um, the flow of energy within us. And I believe uh, that we are primarily energy and uh, on some level. So uh, anyway, so Reiki sessions, and uh, I, um, I'm a vegetarian, and so I, um, I just mind my diet quite a bit, of course, and I uh, am real picky on uh, buying organic um, um, goods and, you know, what I eat, and so, um, um, and I, I, I don't, I don't, um, at a restaurant or something or with friends or loved ones, I don't preach. <laughs> uh, people can do what they want. Everybody has to make up their own mind. But for me personally, um, I'm very aware of what goes into my body food wise. And that's another way. Um, but, uh, and also I think just tolerating, uh, I do journal uh, on my laptop sometimes uh, for sure journaling. Uh, but the journaling includes the notion, I think for all of us that um, life is not a walk in the park. And I think if we just sort of have that tucked away in the back of our mind, like what are your expectations? If you're hoping that things are always going to be jolly and kind of happy and how do I get to a place where I always feel good all the time? That, that is not the goal. That's not being realistic. Uh, maybe perhaps reaching a place of okayness that we feel good about ourselves. There's an okayness, but that can incorporate the fact that sure, as a human being, we may have down days. We may have days where, 
you know, we're just sort of in a pissy mood or something, that's okay. So we have to kind of accept ourselves for all our moods, um, but be aware of where they're coming from if you can and work with it. And so a lot of self-love if some sort of mood or uh, affect is creeping up that maybe you don't want there, but guess what? It is there. So put your arms around it symbolically and uh, uh, give it a big hug. Give your inner child a big hug because life is not easy. You know, it's a challenge um, for all of us in general. I think we come here to learn. It's a learning experience. And, um, and so in the learning, <laughs> in the learning, it can be difficult sometimes, but um, um, perhaps a so be clear or aware at least of maybe one's philosophy of life, maybe uh, a religious approach, perhaps a spiritual approach. What what is the bigger meaning for you? To me, that can be helpful, and um, I work with that on myself uh, in terms of uh, it frames things for me. So um, anyway, um, that's a little bit about how I uh, try to keep up with my own needs. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing yeah. that with me, Brad. Uh -huh. And just and we talked about radical acceptance earlier on. And, you know, like I'm a big fan of Buddhism and I love that kind of, you know, take it's like, you know, not good, not bad, just is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to accept mm -hmm. again, you know, kind of having a having had a tough childhood or kind of anything in life. It's about, you know, not good, not bad, just is and kind of right now it's like this and i suppose that kind of you know leads into you know that whole idea on mindfulness which mm -hmm. is you know to be here and now and to enjoy the present moment so again it's that kind of radical acceptance and you know like being in the present is the safest place you can be isn't it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know because so yeah. much you know like like if we're not in the present moment we're anxious about the future depressed about the past so just kind of being in the moment and being mindful and kind of, you know, but that takes practice, isn't it? It really does. And it's so worth it, isn't it? And um, It's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's really worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, and it's more of the observing of the feeling. So I think sometimes uh, some people may mistakenly believe uh, uh, perhaps that it's in the mindfulness that will make feelings kind of go away and they may dissipate, but it's more to do with, as, as you described it, it's in the moment you can observe it. That's all. It's because you're observing some anger passing through you. Uh, there it is kind of like a cloud passing in the sky. Oh, hmm, I wonder what that's about. And, and uh, that's different from identifying with it. So when people identify as an angry person, for example, now you're in a whole different ball game because now you think you're an angry person as opposed to uh, I'm a person who occasionally feels some anger and but that can be really helped along with what you were just saying there with the mindfulness with just kind of observing absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. with Brad again thank you so much and uh, you know for, for sharing with me your, your amazing toolkit and how you mind others and how you mind you and just the amazing ways that you help people again just really help people to walk steady on unsteady ground and provide you know support and object objectivity and that kind of warm safe space that you know we all need do you know what I mean like we all need and as you said you know like that safe space to be to be able to give your inner child a, a, a hug and you know like that's so important for everyone so thank you so much for sharing that with me and best of luck with everything that you do in the future thank you so much and thanks to you brian and keep up uh the good work uh, having a podcast like this is wonderful and i um you know i loved your i'm never going to forget your analogy of the uh, pebble in the shoe i love that <laughs> that was great and uh very, very helpful. So um, 
thank you for all you do as well. Thank you so much for listening to Mind You. And I hope you've learned about the benefits of holistic self-care. Please like, subscribe and follow Mind You Podcast wherever you listen to it. And please share it so we can keep the ripple effect of holistic self-care going out to the world. You can find me and Mind You at brianbarneswellbeing.com.